What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Padi, and I'm here with PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're here with another week of our usual. We're going to be once again reviewing the previous week's uh, probably the, the best matchups we thought. Uh, which would be week 13 for this one, and we'll be diving a little bit into uh, week 14 and the matchups in that one. And, well, with that being said, I'll get right started with uh, Jalen Hurts, who in this one against the Titans, he quieted some of the people calling him a potential fraud over the last few weeks, and the team in general kind of quieted that talk in this one. Because against a pretty elite defense in Tennessee, he put up pretty good stats going 29 for 39, passing for 380 yards and three touchdowns with another 12 yards and another touchdown on the ground. And after kind of killing a team with his legs in the last week where he saw Hurts, we saw him kind of come back and just show off that he does still have that elite arm and he just absolutely shredded this defense. And jumping into the game, that first drive, Hurts did a great job of kind of just continuously hitting the Titans with what seemed to be a weak point early in this game. Uh, They seemed to just want to give up the sideline, so Hurts just kept hitting them with quick out routes and longer developing uh, corner routes to both A.J. Brown and Devontae Spitt, and that just got them downfield pretty easily because the receivers just were eating up those one-on-one coverages, which... We'll see a lot of in this one. And then this drive, he capped off with a massive play. It was a deep 40-yard strike to Smith on a post route. Uh, it seemed to open up because Hertz kept attacking the edge of the field that they dropped to like a cover two. And then Smith was just able to burn them on a post route, and he was wide open over the middle. So just a great job by Hertz, just having IQ there, you know, hitting one area, hitting the defense where it hurts one way, and then once they adjust, just immediately striking uh, back with something completely different. And uh, with Hurts' improvements in the passing game this year, we see a lot more of that. And even though the ball was a bit underthrown, it was enough for Smith to catch it in stride still and get another yard or two to get in for the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, Later in that quarter, we see Hurts make a rare mistake on accuracy where on a third and five, he has a Smith, he has Devontae Smith open on an out route, but just underthrows it, and this gets the Eagles off the field. It's a pretty easy throw here, and it's something he's got to make, but was a rare mi- mistake from him in this one. Uh, late in the first, he continues with his amazing play, where the Eagles just move to beating the Titans defense with a bunch of in-breaking, y- in-breaking routes, where earlier they were just hitting them with a bunch of outbreaking routes. And here Hertz just puts the ball on the money over and over again, and the Titans just aren't able to guard the Eagles receivers one on one. And the fact that AJ Brown and Smith were getting so much separation in this game definitely made Hertz's job a lot easier, but he still did his part in just getting the ball to them on the money. And this drive was capped off with another massive touchdown. And this was a 40 yard bomb, which uh with AJ Brown and AJ Brown's defender was literally just literally falls over on this one. There's really no other way to describe it. There's double move and there was a bit of contact between AJ Brown and the DB. Yeah, a bit, a bit. yeah. 
It, it kind of looked like A.J. Brown kind of just trucks him over and they miss a call. <laughs> but nonetheless, he was wide open with no one around him for like 30 yards. And there's an easy pitch and catch for a touchdown. Uh, Hertz just did what he had to do there. Uh, early in the second quarter, we see another rare Hertz mistake because he fumbles here. And he did something here that something both me and PD have talked about quite a lot with him this season, where all the game up to this point, he was doing a good job of staying in the pocket. And honestly, it wasn't that hard of a task because his offensive line had been blocking incredibly. But here on a third and 14, he decided to just abandon the pocket too early. And while doing so, he didn't really stay aware of his surroundings. And while just stumbling around, he gets hit from behind and fumbles. And he's kind of lucky his own lineman recovers it, but he's just got to have better pocket awareness here and not even leave the pocket too early in the first place to avoid these sort of mistakes. Later in this quarter, though, the Eagles, on another drive, just run a bunch of RPOs, and Hertz does a fantastic job of just reading the defense and throwing it and handing it off based off when necessary. And this kind of just goes to show how good this Eagles offense is because they pretty much just did this one concept, so to speak, the entire length of the field, and are still able to just get downfield. I was capped off by a two-yard design run QB power by Hertz, and he just waltzed in for an easy touchdown. So a pretty good half from him, aside from those few mistakes I said, but ultimately he gets lucky on that fumble, so overall doesn't affect them in real life, but definitely Hertz... Something Hurts has to work on. Early in the third, though, the Eagles' offense takes a bit of a another different approach. And in this one, we see them, what I'd like to call kind of setting up a big punch. Because they start the drive with a bunch of small drops and quick throws where Hurts just finds the open guy and lays it on the money quick. Every throw was within a few seconds of the ball being snapped. And then when the Titans' D kind of adjusts, creeps up, we see them take the power punch and Hertz just launches it downfield to AJB, 30 yards downfield on a go route. And this was probably one of my favorite throws from Hertz all day because Brown has literally no space because the DB is kind of literally wrapping his arms around AJ Brown. But Hertz still puts the ball right on the money and allows AJB to catch it like it's really nothing. Perfect accuracy and ball placement there. Uh, in the middle of the third quarter, Hertz probably has his best throw of the day, in my opinion, because on another go route on a third and 12, Hertz launches it like 50 yards downfield to Smitty and puts it perfectly on his back shoulder while he's in uh, stride to give him a chance to make a play. Unfortunately, the DB also does a great job in this one, and he's in great coverage and makes this a really hard play for Smith to come down with the ball, and he just can't bring it in. But regardless, it's a great throw from Hertz and something that just won't show up on the stat sheet. Uh, late in the third quarter, Hertz does a great job once again on attacking that A.J. Brown matchup, which he pretty much had been doing all day. But you saw it a lot in this drive because there's like four or five connections on this one where he just snapped the ball and threw it right to A.J. Brown. They had one big gain over the middle to the tight end, and ultimately it led to another score where they ran it in. Uh, the Eagles end up finishing this game kind of running the clock out, as we see a lot from them this season, because a lot of their ga- games have gotten out of hand pretty quickly. And just another fantastic performance from Hertz. He's got to clean up a couple of 
uh, mistakes here and there, but nothing major in my opinion, except for that pocket problem that we've been talking about quite a bit. And more importantly, this was an offensive play calling masterclass from the Eagles too, because all season they have a lot of mismatches on the field at all time, and they're absolutely abusing them. Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with everything that you said there. I, I will say, I think that the play calling was great last year too, even when they didn't have these kinds of huge mismatches. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, Hurts, despite despite the fumble, still a strong game. And um, yeah, just continuing to add to his case as a really amazing quarterback this year and looking forward to seeing what he does next week. Yeah, I also agree with the Eagles. They definitely have had pretty good coaching for a bit now, but I think with the likes of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and that elite offensive line on the team this year, I think it just makes their jobs so easy. But going from one offensive masterclass to probably one of the worst quarterback play of the week, I'd say, in Deshaun Watson. And after a year and a half, probably, of Watson being off from football, we kind of went into this one not expecting a whole lot. But it was the Texans' defense, ultimately, which is one of the league's worst. So we were expecting something. And I'll say we didn't really get that something in this one because Watson was only 12 for 22 for 131 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. And though we expected after all the time off and him really taking second team reps all season that he was going to come out a bit rusty, you definitely want to see something more from someone the Browns invested so much into. And the game definitely backs up his poor stat line. Uh, Early in the first quarter, we see two back-to-back incompletions from him out the gate and kind of encompassed, like, the problems with him for me. Because the first one, he seems to have his guy, Amari Cooper, open over the middle of the field. It's a pretty easy pass because there's only about three, four yards downfield. And he seems to spot him, too, but he just doesn't deliver the ball with enough velocity and allows the defender to come in and break up that play. And the very next play... I think we see the rust of Deshaun Watson even more because uh, this is the first time we see him deal with a bit of pressure and he seems to brace for impact for a sack early, even though he didn't really have to. Uh, that weird kind of movement does still make him make that tackler miss and he gets out of the pocket, but he's quickly chased down and can't get a good throw off. And it seems to me that he was a little bit less elusive in the open field early on in this one because I think a prime Watson maybe gets away from the pocket there and makes a good throw, but we'll see as time goes on. Uh, In the middle of the first, we see him miss again low on an open slant off an RPO, and he just had a wide open receiver and just throws the ball in the dirt. However, he did start to get going a bit in this drive because we see him have one impressive play where off the play action, he has a bunch of pressure in his face but he still delivers a strike in stride to Peoples-Jones for a big gain, and that gets them into the red zone. But he does follow that one good play with probably one of his worst plays of the day. Because in the red zone, Deshaun, I think he sees man coverage uh, in what the Texans, and I guess the Texans did a good job of masking it because he tries to hit his receiver in the back of the end zone, and to what I could only think is he thought he had one-on-one, but the safety was literally camping there in the middle of the field, and 
it seemed like he knew exactly where Watson wanted to go, and Watson kind of just delivered it right into his hand. And because he didn't really recognize the coverage, he pays the price here. Uh, it was a rough first quarter in his return, for sure. He had probably one, maybe two good plays total in this one. But it was his first quarter back. However, he doesn't really follow that with much more because in the middle of the second, backed up in his own end zone, we do see him have one, another rare bright spot where he hits Amari Cooper on a slant and gets them out of a bad spot. And he follows that with another accurate out route to Peoples-Jones that gets them another good bit of chunk of yardage. Uh, They do end up punting on this drive, but Watson did put together a few throws, which we didn't really see much in this game. Uh, Late in the second quarter, we see Watson pass a ball so bad that pretty much the entire defense and even the refs thought it was a fumble because he kind of just loses the ball to the ground. He wasn't even hit, nothing. It just ball kind of slips. And it was ruled an incompletion, but kind of goes to show how uh, his mechanics are definitely not up to par with what Watson's, what we're accustomed to with Watson for sure. Uh, he wasn't really as bad in the second quarter, but kind of due to a safety and a punt return touchdown, he didn't really have the ball a whole lot in this one. So that was this quarter, so that was probably why. Uh, early in the third and early in the second half, we see him on a third and six, and we see him on a bit of old Deshaun Watson here where he does a good job of finding Amari on a in-breaking route over the middle and just fires uh, it on him, lays it on him just before the safety hits him. It kind of looked like something I've seen him do with DeAndre Hopkins in the past, and I'm interested to see if that link-up kind of becomes like the uh, Watson-D-Hop link-up back that we saw in Texas. Later, though, on the same drive in a third and six, he once again has... Amari Cooper semi-open on a comeback route, but he doesn't even give him a chance to get the ball because he kind of just throws it in the dirt. Uh, He gets the ball again with about four and a half left in the third, and we see a lot of... We see the Browns stall again due to a lot of Watson's rust. On a third and five, he seems to take a nine-yard drop for some reason, and that allows the edge rushers to have a pretty good angle on him right away, and his tackles don't really have a chance there. He does try to move up and make up for his mistake, but he's kind of set himself up for failure early and gets sacked. Uh, Early in the fourth, we do see him complete an important third and seven on the money to Omari Cooper on a slant. But later that drive on a third and six in Texans territory, we see him just kind of launch a ball into the end zone with no Brown within 15 yards of where he threw the ball. Uh, I don't know if it was a miscommunication or just a horrible throw. You can't really tell from the play, but just not really what the Browns are looking for out of him. Uh, In the middle of the fourth, we see a glimpse of how the Browns offense could be interesting with him because they roll roll out the read option a little bit, and that could be dangerous moving forward with him and Chubb and Hunt if he does end up getting uh, whatever he's going through together. But the Browns pretty much just run the clock out here. And honestly, most of the second half, they were just running the ball because they didn't really seem to trust Watson yet. And overall, this was a somewhat expected game from Watson, but he definitely needs to improve a lot very fast if that trade and contract want to seem worth it in any shape or form. And yeah, I, I, I was a little disappointed for sure, even though my expectations were low. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he just missed so many passes, like, low to his receivers. It was just, it was... Yeah, they're all was, in the dirt. It was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty appalling, to be honest, like, but, but it's like, it's a pretty clear sign of rust, and um, when you, when you don't have time off, or when you have too much time off, you, like, you, you're gonna tend to miss more in one direction than spray the ball all over the place, I think, so I guess it might be more correctable than uh, if he was just spraying the ball all over the place, but, you know, you... We, we we have some time for him to kind of get adjusted um, through the end of this season and, and into next season. Um, but moving on to a quarterback who's been playing well, actually, this season, and that's Justin Fields, who had an absolutely incredible game against the Packers. So he started off with a short screen pass um, or a short pass to David Montgomery. But on his second pass um, from scrimmage, he finds... Equinemius St. Brown, 20-plus yards down the field. It's a little bit behind him, and he's wide open, but good pass nonetheless, and that was a sign of things to come. Um, After missing a screen pass to Chase Claypool and a couple of short runs, he breaks off a massive 56-yard touchdown run where he makes multiple defenders miss and accelerates up the field um, and just turns that into a massive play. Uh, So that's the first explosive play that he generates. Um... We move into the second quarter, um, and he hits a short pass, then misses one, um, misses a pretty easy one, I think, to, to Claypool. And and then we get a couple of nice passes um, down down the middle of the field uh, where I think he showed nice arm strength and uh, decent timing to push the ball to chase Claypool. And then we have an absolutely massive throw where uh, Fields just – uh, rolls out of the pocket, or not rolls out of the pocket. Uh, stays on, the, stays in the pocket, and this one uh, avoids some pressure, and just absolutely launches it to to St. Brown, um, forty five yards down the field, and it's absolutely on the absolutely on the money. Um, we get into the third quarter. It gets a little bit slow relative to what he was doing in the first half, uh, with a few short passes and a, a scramble for a small gain, but then. We come back with a couple of intermediate throws that are pretty nice where field th- field throws kind of across the field to Cole Komet. Um, it's a little high, but a difficult throw nonetheless um, after evading pressure. And then he hits an open Dante Pettis uh, for a ni- other, another nice throw. Uh, and then um, he makes another really great throw where he, he does bail early from the pocket on this one, but he just absolutely launches it to Nikhil Harry on a back shoulder in a very tight window. Um, and that ball is placed perfectly. After a couple of short completions um, and an incompletion where he thought I thought he threw uh, a bad pass, um, he has another completion in the intermediate area to Cole Komet. And this is followed by the interception, his first one of the game, where I don't think it was Fields' fault at all. I think that Equinemius St. Brown um, just gets absolutely bodied at the catch point where Fields was throwing it early, expecting uh, Equinemius St. Brown to to come back to the ball, but St. Brown kind of messes up the angle and kind of gives uh, Jair Alexander a great angle to get to the ball. Um, so after that interception, that's a pretty costly play for the Bears, um, but he follows it up with some short completions after that. And then this on the last play of the game, which is his his truly his first real mistake, um, where he 
he's trying to push the ball down the field to Dante Pettis. There's, what is it, 51 seconds left in the game when the ball is snapped there. Um, so he's being aggressive, but but reasonably so. Uh, they're down two scores at this point. Uh, forces it to Dante Pettis. It's a bad throw. It's covered. It's not there, but I understand the rationale for trying to push the ball down the field there. Um, and that's the only thing that's really preventing him from having probably the best game of the year, in my opinion. So a bunch of explosive plays. Um I would say five or so explosive plays generated by fields and four of them are like massive 50 yard type plays. So this game was pretty incredible for fields um, show, showed kind of, I would say his potential in terms of generating the explosive plays and he didn't put the ball in harm's way. And uh, something that really put a smile on my face, zero sacks in this game. That was really impressive for yeah. me. Um, especially like in the sense of the bears offensive line, because we know that they they were awful uh, at the beginning of the year, and they've made massive improvements. And Fields is kind of starting to show his his full potential here, uh, playing like we said, um, he had a chance to play like a Pro Bowl level quarterback down the stretch. And I think since a slow start, that's that's what we're seeing here. So, uh, if you want to add anything, you can about Fields. Yeah, heading into the bye week for the Bears, it's kind of we've kind of seen a lot of what they've done so far to kind of make a overall judgment. And as someone who kind of, or not kind of, I highly doubted fields going into the season. Even if you go back to some of the early in the season talks about him, I, I was someone that doubted fields for sure. Cause I didn't know if his play style necessarily was going to translate the way he was playing last year, but I'm really impressed with how the bears have kind of found like an identity almost over the past, like, however long they have been doing this with Fields, and they just keep doing it with Fields with his legs. Almost every game you see him get, like, 50 yards and a touchdown at least with his legs, and it's something that, honestly, unless it was, like, 2019 Lamar or something, we ha- we don't see a whole lot with a team really, like, running their offense through the legs of their quarterback. And he's not only doing that, but still uh, progressing as a passer as well. And I'd say this was probably one of his better games as a passer in the season overall, because he hasn't really had to show that as much with him being so good as a rusher. So I'm impressed with Fields' progression, and I hope he continues going on this path. Yeah, I like what you said there, kind of like um, not knowing if his style would translate, because he was kind of still figuring out what his play style would be in the league, I think. And we're kind of seeing him develop into uh, what what kind of offense would work uh, for him. I think it's something in between what the Titans run with Ryan Tannehill and what the Ravens run with Lamar Jackson, with borrowing some of the run game concepts that the Ravens have, um, maybe with more power type runs, and then like basically just stealing the entire play action game from the Titans because that's the stuff that Justin Fields absolutely thrives with. So. Uh, I think that if they can execute something like that moving forward, um, we could be set up, set up for some explosive Bears offenses uh, in the future, especially next year after they can potentially add someone with the enormous amount of cap space up. that they have. So the future is looking bright in Chicago. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can build um, over the next few years. Um, yeah, speaking of a team with a bright future, um, let's look at the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungvaluwa, and this was the first time where this year I can look at the Dolphins and say um, this loss was because of Tua. Um, So 
Let's start with the first play. The first play is an easy play for Trent Sherfield where um, Tua just pitches out there. It's a good throw, but I mean, Trent Sherfield does most of the work. Um, this is followed by, what is this? One, two, three, four, five straight incompletions. And he just looks kind of off and none of them are really um, thrown on the money. Um, but he does bounce back on the next play after those five straight incompletions and throws a really nice pass to Durham Smythe in what's kind of a tight window. Um, puts it out there on time, on the money, and gets a 19-yard gain, which is basically all him. Um, the next one is an incompletion where I think Ingold, Alec Ingold, the fullback, just drops it. Um, the one after that, a nice pass to Tyreek Kill. He's wide open, but good throw nonetheless. Um, and then we follow this up with a few completions um, moving into the middle of the second quarter where Tua takes his first sack, and I think this one was Tua's fault. Um, moving on from that sack, it's just a string of misses um, with one completion in the middle. So the first incompletion, he just completely overthrows Jalen Waddell. Um, he's he's like, like five, six, maybe seven yards overthrown out of bounds. Um, and then the next one, uh, what is it? Jeff Wilson is wide open, but he throws it a little bit high and a little bit behind him, 18 yards down the field. That should have been a touchdown, I think. Um, the next one, the next one is not really his fault. It's a miscommunication between him and Craycraft. But then he does come back uh, to Craycraft. The next play trusts him and hits him 17 yards down the field. Um, the next one to Tyree Kill. He's open again, and it's a little bit high for him. And, you know, that's another miss that's to, a, to his fault. Um, and the last play of his last play of the quarter is a sack, which I don't think was his fault. Um, moving into the third quarter, it started to look a little bit better where he hit uh, a really nice throw with great timing to Hill 20 yards down the field. Um, but the next play is an interception where I think um, he, he kind of panicked a little bit under pressure um, and kind of anticipated that his running back would be in a spot there that he didn't end up being because he kind of just tripped and fell down. Uh, regardless, it would have been a jump ball, tough catch to make, but I don't really think the interception in total was his fault. Um, but the next play, again, is an interception, and this one was definitely his fault, where Tyree Kill is wide open on this like rollout play on a quick out that they run, and he just sails it way behind and way high for him. Um, the next play, they come back with completion. It's not really on target again for Hill, but it is a completion. Um, and then a nice intermediate throw. Uh, heading into the fourth quarter, um, Hill is wide open, 19 yards down the field um, th in the middle, and Tua hits him. And then a really nice throw, the next one for a 45-yard touchdown deep down the field on a post-route type play. Um, and he hits Hill at stride for a touchdown. Um, the next one is a short completion that's not really on target for Durham Smythe. And then... The next one is a drop um, by Trent Sherfield, where he's open, Tua puts it low in a way to protect him from the hit, and he just can't come up with the catch. Um, the next couple of plays are intermediate passes, uh, tight window ones to Hill and Craycraft. Hill makes a spectacular catch on fourth down on the first one um, to kind of keep the Dolphins in the game, and then a nice throw to Craycraft. Um, and then some short passes to close out uh, that drive, and a batted ball and an incompletion on third and fourth down kind of kill that drive in the end. And then Tua kind of takes a sack uh, and fumble where 
I thought it was his fault because he kind of he stepped up into the pocket, um, not thinking that there would be pressure. But more importantly, he gave the edge rushers uh, extra time and a better angle to come and pursue him. And I think that that kind of makes the fumble uh, to his fault because he could have gotten the throw out there uh, if he really wanted to. But he doesn't have like that type of off-platform arm ability to just make things happen. And so I think that's kind of what limited limited him there. Um, but I wanted to look a little bit a little bit deeper into um, kind of like the narrative that's coming around from this game. And I don't think that um, what happened this game is an indication of things to things to come. So I looked at every single incompletion or uh, interception that Tua threw. And if we filter all the incompletions, we can see that out of all of them, four of the incompletions that Tua threw in the entire game out of the 14 are uh, are plays where he's under pressure. And then uh, if we filter by plays under pressure uh, instead of plays that uh, plays that Tua threw an incompletion, uh, we can see that he's not really struggling there either. So... What really happened this game is just that um, Tua just missed throws that he normally makes. Like, I see some some narratives by uh, NFL media writers where they're like, the Dolphins uh, were pushed out of their comfort zone by, by the Niners and Tua got a little jumpy in the pocket or his pocket presence showed up this game where it wasn't very good. But I, I don't think I see that at all. I just see a quarterback who's missing throws that he normally makes. Um, and the analogy that came up to my mind was like, like if Clay Thompson shot like three for 13 on threes in a random game, you're not going to come up and say that Clay Thompson was, was locked down. You're just going to say, oh, well, he had a bad game. He'll be fine next game. Um, so that's kind of what I think happened. And I think that the long-term projections uh, of what's happening from this game are a little bit excessive, but uh, Tua could have definitely played better. And I also want to say, uh, I think that if they played this game again, uh, the Dolphins would probably steamroll the 49ers defense. I don't think that the Niners defense has the bodies to match up with with the Dolphins like some people projected going into the game and are kind of narrativizing right now. Uh, I think that um, the, the Dolphins' weaponry and system are way too powerful and Tua's eyes are way too tricky to take advantage of him like that. So... If the ball placement was a little bit better in this game, we would be talking about a totally different story. Um, and yeah, I went on a little bit of rant there, but you, you can respond however you want. All good. First, I want to say in 2022, uh, if you're comparing Tua to Clay Thompson, you're not quite defending him. So there's one thing not, for sure. Not, not, not current Clay Thompson. <laughs> no, I, mean- I, I assumed it was prime Clay Thompson, but you, you got to look at the context here. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right in there with the media writers talking about Clay Thompson. <laughs> okay, okay. But I will say I, I agree with the point that this wasn't necessarily Niners disrupting this amazing uh, – the Niners defense disrupting this amazing Dolphins offense, and they just can't keep up with what the Niners had to give. Because as someone – as a Niners fan who watched this whole game, I can say that Mike McDaniel pretty much got whatever he wanted – I'd say most of that first half in terms of the receivers he wanted to get open and the kind of just the results he wanted to get out of what he was running. 
And Tua just simply wasn't hitting his throws. And it wasn't necessarily the Niners defense getting to him in that first half or uh, just him getting uh, pounded by a bunch of uh, pressure that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. It was literally him missing throws that everyone expected him to make, including me. Uh, Pretty much every Niners fan I watched this game with were kind of just happy and grateful that Tua gave us so many chances in this one. Uh, Like I think Petey said it early in his uh, review of Tua, but he was just off. Like that's the only way to put it. Tua was completely off in this one. And uh, I don't know what someone who's as accurate as him. It's something we haven't seen before, Uh, but I'm glad it happened in this week. But one thing I will say is uh, if they were to run this back, I definitely don't think the Dolphins would just steamroll the Niners. I do think they did exactly what they wanted in the first half, but I think a lot of the reason why the Niners' defense was so successful in the second half was also because of the adjustments we we made. Because just like the we're not really able to keep up with the Dolphins' skill positions, we kind of figured out that the Dolphins absolutely cannot uh, compete with our defensive line. And I know with uh, their left tackle, his name slipping my mind right now. Armstead, yeah. Back, Armstead with him coming back, that offensive line will be much improved. But that was still, I think, the second or third worst offensive line in the league. They absolutely could not hold Bosa. And it wasn't really just Bosa. The reason Bosa was getting so uh, making so many plays was because everyone else was winning their one-on-ones as well. And they just simply couldn't double Bosa. I don't think they can have a lot of those longer developing plays where they just take shots and burn defenses against this defense because of how much disruption the Niners were able to cause in that second half. Yes, we probably won't blow them out, and we won't get as, nearly as many turnovers in the, uh, if we were to ever match up with them again. But I do think the Niners' defense should get a good bit of credit for what they did in that one. It wasn't just that Tua, Tua was completely off, but it wasn't only that. I would say that. it's. I don't think it's a feeling of me with like the Niners' defense. I just think that <clears throat> the Dolphins' offense are like a level above what any defense can do right now, I think. And That's I feel true. like, I feel like, um, what is it? Two weeks from now, um, there's the Bills matchup, right? And I feel like if there's no like inclement weather or something that would like totally like destroy the Dolphins way of playing offense, I think that that matchup should show people um, how good this Dolphins offense really is. I mean, one thing we'll always see in football is good offenses will almost always beat good defenses unless yeah. that good defense is absolutely Hall of Fame level elite. So I do agree that the Dolphins defense wouldn't quite struggle against any defense really in the NFL currently. But I do think the Niners also have some matchups that they can expose as well that they saw in this one. But luckily this most likely won't be a matchup again. I, I would be very surprised if these two teams met in the Super Bowl. And a huge reason for why is something I'll get into right now is the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. And I'll I'll talk about that in a second, but first I'll get into uh the man of the man of the week for the Niners, I'd say, in Brock Purdy, who came in relief for Jimmy after he was after Jimmy ended up getting injured in this one. And I'd say he put up decent stats going 
25 for 37, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, from outside perspective, a third stringer coming in doing that, that looks pretty good. Uh, and he picked up his play towards the end of this game, but he certainly isn't the quarterback Jimmy G is or even necessarily a starting caliber quarterback as of right now. We'll see moving forward if teams are able to adjust and like expose him or will he just be enough to hold up this extremely talented roster? Uh, but getting into the game, he comes in in the middle of the first after the very first drive of the, day, uh, drive of the game. Jimmy G goes down with an injury, and he starts by not really doing a whole lot. Uh, that first drive he was in, McCaffrey and Hasty just get the Niners downfield with back-to-back-to-back runs, and Purdy kind of just checks it down to use Chick for a touchdown, one-yard touchdown. And that drive kind of just goes to show how talented this Niners offense is. Because in that very first drive, we had absolutely zero passing threat. Like, it could have been me out there and we still weren't going to pass the ball. And they still were able to just get downfield and score. Uh, His next relevant drive came in, like, the middle of the second quarter where we see probably his worst play of the day. And he didn't have too many highlight plays, so that does say a lot. Because on a fourth and four, he does have Christian McCaffrey wide open in the middle of the field. And by wide open, I mean they literally left him uncovered right in front of him. And instead, he chooses to throw it uh, downfield to Ayuk on a 50-50 ball, which ended up being more favored by the defensive back because he threw the ball kind of poorly and underneath Ayuk. And Xavier Howard ends up getting that pick. And for was the first time he was really asked to make a decision in this game because most of his other passes were just quick one-read throws, and it didn't really go too well. Uh, but late in the second quarter, we kind of see Purdy start to settle in because uh, he does hit CMC for like a seven-yard gain and, and a first, and then he follows that with probably one of his best plays of the day and a really good play overall because he, he fires an absolute laser to Kittle over the middle when the Dolphins sent a lot of pressure. And like they sent like seven, and he had like two guys right in his face, and he just... Uh, gets rid of the ball immediately and it was I think the ball to throw time was maybe less than a second and he hits Kittle on the money still Uh, after another quick completion to Juan Jennings who turned the uh, that completion upfield and got a bunch of yards uh, he hits CMC again for a screen that got about 20 and this gets the Niners inside the five yard line And here, Purdy just makes the right play and flips it to an open Christian McCaffrey who walks in for an easy touchdown because, for whatever reason, the Dolphins choose to not guard him there. Uh, It was a solid drive to end the half and kind of just shows that maybe the Niners could do something with Purdy there because even without putting a whole lot of pressure on him, they were able to drive downfield once again. Early in the third quarter, we see Purdy once again show some anticipation rather than kind of just throwing open guys, which he was doing all first half. Uh, He throws the ball over the middle of the field to a spot and allows Debo to break in and get there and catch it right before the DB gets there for a first. And this is kind of a normal normal for an in-breaking route in the NFL, but because it's Brock Purdy, it's a third stringer, I'm still slightly impressed because he was kind of just thrown in. It is an average NFL throw, but that's not what I was expecting out of him, and that impressed me. 
Uh, later on a third and one, we see Purdy even play make, which something, again, I didn't expect out of him at all. Because we see the play break down on this one, and he's forced to just run out of the pocket, right? Chased down by two, three defensive linemen, but he keeps his down uh, eyes downfield and hits Debo running right towards the sideline for 10 yards and a first. And just once again, great job while looking upfield while under duress and something I didn't expect out of him. He did it again on a third and three where the pressure gets to him immediately and he kind of just runs, turns around and uh, flushes out the pocket left immediately and hits CMC in the flats. Uh, CMC doesn't end up getting the first because he gets tackled immediately, but again, great play by Purdy to do exactly what he needed to do because he finds his open man despite a ton of pressure and gives him a chance at the first down. And like I said, CMC gets tackled. There was a fourth and one, and Purdy on a QB sneak gets stuffed pretty much immediately by the Dolphins' defensive line. But we see him keep his legs moving, and on a second effort, he drags a linebacker over the line again and gets a first. And, yeah, so he just shows incredible heart there. That's something I wouldn't have expected out of many quarterbacks, really. But he literally gra- dragged the defensive lineman over the line of the game, even though he was stuffed maybe a yard behind, maybe in the line of scrimmage. Uh, he gets the ball back late in the third quarter after a two interception. And here, even though we get the ball uh, deep in Dolphins territory, he kind of unnecessarily checks it down to... McCaffrey on a third and five way too early uh I think it was kind of just him panicking and making a decision so that he didn't end up getting sacked or do something even more dumb but that's something he definitely has to clean up because he can't just panic and check it down whenever he feels like it and that ends up leading to a field goal uh early in the fourth quarter on a third and one we see another good play from Purdy he finds Samuel on a very tight window throw with linebackers on either side of Debo and he fires it with enough uh velocity to get it to Debo and not only just get the first but he turns up field and picks up another five uh however on a third and four later that drive we see more of the negative Purdy side where Jennings has a lot of space running upfield because he destroys his defensive back and for whatever reason Purdy throws the ball in that direction, but nowhere near Jennings. It kind of just goes to the sideline, and I'm not sure if it was a miscommunication or just a really, really dumb play by Purdy. Uh, In the middle of the fourth quarter on a third and one off a play action, we see Purdy uh, do a great job of finding Kittle in the flats and pick up a first down. Uh, It wasn't the biggest highlight play, but it was very uh, integral in this win. It kind of goes to show that maybe Purdy will be able to do like the little things here and there to maybe push the Niners over the hump for these wins sometimes. And ultimately that was it with Purdy that Bosa strip sack ends the game. And overall, as of right now, Purdy really isn't a great NFL quarterback. He's not a starting caliber NFL quarterback as of right now, for sure. I hope he proves me wrong in the coming weeks, but based off this game, that's definitely the takeaway but I think more importantly is the more important for the Niners overall is kind of the results of this one. Because even though the Dolphins weren't in at their A game, they still were able to beat a pretty good or probably one of the best teams in the NFL with a third string quarterback who was just thrown in in the middle of the game, not really expecting to play. 
And it does go to show how elite this Niners roster is. I don't know if that necessarily uh, bodes well for the future, if that means they'll be able to replicate this, because a lot did have to go the Niners' way for this to this game to end up the way it did. But regardless, with Purdy, they were able to steamroll a very good Dolphins team, and that's something very exciting for us Niner fans. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I still look at the Niners as a dangerous team, even with Brock Purdy, um, even though their ceiling is probably more limited with the worst quarterback. Yeah, it's definitely cap, but I think everyone knows that, and this really shows it even more, that Jimmy G wasn't the one really orchestrating this offense and wasn't the reason this team was successful. He was kind of just the guy getting everyone the ball and obviously not to the extent of Purdy. Like, yeah, Jimmy G is significantly better and played his role for sure. But I think someone like Purdy can still run this offense because it doesn't ask for a whole lot from the quarterback. I want to put a bookmark in that because um, I think it's, I think Jimmy G is is a good quarterback, um, and I don't think the it, I don't think it's easy to find a good quarterback who you can just drop in Kyle Shanahan's system and you and you will just expect like results. I think there's a very specific archetype of quarterback. Um, think of like Jimmy G. Think of like a Kirk Cousins, where you just drop yeah, them in and and you expect them to just fit that scheme because that's what they're good at. Think of maybe Ryan Tannehill too. Um, yeah, the, think of Brock Purdy. <laughs> think of Brock Purdy. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, for, for the sake of Niners fans, um, I really anyway. hope so. Moving on to the game of the week with the Bengals and the Chiefs. I'll be looking at both quarterbacks in this one, but starting off with the winning quarterback in Joe Burrow. Um, I'm going to sound repetitive if I go through uh, every play in this one, like I've been for the other quarterbacks. So I'm just going to. Uh, quickly go through the big place because basically everything else is short completions underneath because the Chiefs were just very content to sit in cover two and cover four and let Joe Burrow work underneath and he did so um, the first nice play that he makes is one to Wilcox where he's open he puts it on the money 13 yards down the field and then the next play he puts it on the money uh, in a little bit of a tighter window but he's still open and 17 yards down the field, Tyler Boyd makes the catch. Um, we finish up with a couple of scrambles, um, and the second quarter starts with a bunch of short completions, uh, a nice scramble, and then he throws a really nice pass outside the numbers. Um, Chase is open again. He turns up field for 40 yards, um, but then Burrow fails on a QB sneak on third and one, and they do this weird handoff thing, which it, it wasn't a poor play call, but it was blocked horribly. Um, some some bad miscommunication, and they lose three yards, and that ends the drive. Um, we start the third quarter with a couple of nice intermediate passes, back-to-back, 13 yards to Tyler Boyd. Um, they look almost like identical plays. He turns both of them from 13 yards down the field, uh, type passes to 19-yard gains. Um, and then we get our first drop of the game where um, Tyler Boyd is wide open, uh, 15 yards down the field, right right around the goal line. Uh, would have walked in for a touchdown, but it just bounces off his helmet. And yeah, the Bengals, uh, that's a four-point drop, as they would say. Um, Burrow again hits Chase outside the numbers to the right, and he turns up for 21 yards. And then Burrow makes a really nice scramble on kind of like a broken read option play um, where he just kind of 
make something happen. Um, the fourth quarter is just dominated by a bunch of short throws and, and whatnot. But um, Burrow does take what I think is a bad sack, but immediately recovers from that bad sack with a great, great throw to seal the game to T. Higgins, uh, a tight window throw near the first down marker um, on this kind of slant glance type pattern. The DB is draped all over Higgins and it just drops right onto his stomach and um, he just walks in for the first down. So a a great game from Burrow here again. um, I think that he played extremely well considering the fact that um, the Chiefs were on the other side and it was possible for at any moment for them to score. Um, But Burrow just kept keeping them in the game, just kept playing absolutely sharp. Um, didn't really miss many throws at all this game. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Burrow continuing to inch closer and closer to that MVP level play that we talked about, um, that we thought he could end up reaching, um, with the way he was playing. And now that Jamar Chase is back, um, it's going to be even easier for him to kind of get there. Um, you can let me know your thoughts if you have any. Yeah, I think my main takeaway was going to be what you said at the end there, that, I think this game kind of projected him into the MVP conversation in the national media. I think we've been talking about this for a while, but I think most people didn't really care to look at Burroughs' play because they didn't have a whole lot of big games earlier. And with Chase out, people kind of just assumed he was going to drop off and fall off. But in this one, obviously being a massive game against the Chiefs, a replay of their two crazy matchups last year. And I think everyone really saw what Burrow was capable of once again in this one and uh, looked back kind of what on what he's been doing pretty much all season, uh, excluding a couple of weeks earlier on in the year and kind of seeing that, yeah, this guy definitely has an MVP case. Uh, I think the guy who you're about to talk about here and the opponent still kind of has the edge because of what he's been doing throughout the year. But I think guys like, him, Tua, uh, even Allen, Burrow and Tua are creeping up there with Mahomes and Allen as like the two maybe front runners. And I actually think Allen might be falling out of it a little bit with the way Burrow and Tua have been playing as of recently. I would not want to sleep on Josh Allen. I don't think discounting his play is, is the right move. I think that the Bills are very much in play for the one seed. Um, mm-hmm. But the the big the big thing for me is that Week 17 matchup, Bills-Bengals on Monday Night Football, that is just like a massive, massive matchup for, for the MVP race. And I think that that yeah. almost could decide the MVP race on its own. Because if one of those teams gets the one seed, um, it could just go to Burrow or Allen. Or if neither of those are, are contending for the one seed at that time, it probably goes to Mahomes. So... Yeah, just a massive, massive matchup right there. And we'll see um, what happens there. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Burrow's opponent in this game and is Patrick Mahomes. And whew, this one, this one's a tough one for me because I don't think he played very well. And we start off in the first quarter. It's just a few short passes, some screens, that type of thing. And then a throwaway around the goal line, which wasn't a bad decision, but um, I think he could have done a better job of managing the pressure there. And the next play is a batted ball, um, which leads to a field goal attempt. So we move into the second quarter, and the first play here is one where I think it's a bad sack because um, he kind of drops back a little bit 
Uh, he, he drops back fine, but I think that the fact that um, he could have gotten rid of the ball at multiple points on this play um, is is kind of a problem in what leads to the sack. Um, he follows it up with an incompletion, but then puts puts in like a couple of nice intermediate throws. Uh, the second one, not an intermediate throw, actually. Um, it's like a really tight window throw to Juju Smith-Schuster, only six yards down the field, but I thought it was pretty impressive because he was moving to his right, and in a tight window, he just fires it in there for Smith-Schuster, and it results in a 12-yard gain. Um, however, the next play was pretty poor. Um, Mahomes is kind of under pressure, and he kind of scrambles right and just kind of throws it up there for Juju. And it's basically triple coverage, but one of the defenders isn't really paying attention to the ball. So it ends up being double coverage. Um, a big deal, right? And it, it ends up in a dropped interception. Um, Mahomes makes a nice scramble on, on the next one to put it into third and four, but then an incompletion, which I don't think was really his fault. Um, he tries to put one up there for Kelsey, and it's a little underthrown, a uh, difficult throw to make. Um, after a few short completions, we head into halftime. And after halftime, he was a lot better. Um, the first play is an incompletion where Valdez Scantling was covered. Um, difficult throw to make. Could have probably made it. But the Chiefs, knowing that they have an advantage uh, with that type of play, they run the same play again. Um, but this time, Mahomes throws it a little bit short for Valdez Scantling, but this time uh, he hits it, and it's a massive play. So great throw there. Um, after short completion and an incompletion, um, Mahomes makes another nice intermediate pass. Um, outside the numbers to Watson. Um, he throws the ball away on the next one, and the next one is uh, one where I think Valdez Scantling really nicely bails him out, <laughs> to put it lightly. Uh, Valdez Scantling is running like this type of over type pattern, and Mahomes puts it up there. Um, good decision, I would say, to put it up there for your receiver in 1v1, but Valdez Scantling just makes an absolutely incredible catch and mosses his, his defender. Um the next one is actually an impressive throwaway, in my opinion, where um, there's pressure really quickly and Mahomes has to evade the pressure, breaks a sack, and, and throws the ball away. Um, and then he makes a scramble on the fourth down, which ends up being a touchdown. So um, that, that throwaway did have some function. Um, we move into the fourth quarter where Mahomes makes a nice pass to Kelsey um, it, it, over the middle of the field in a tight window, but Kelsey just fumbles it so that that is a massive swing in in the direction of in the direction of the Bengals but he comes back to Kelsey um and Kelsey turns his, his trust into 19 yards in the next couple of plays um next one is an incompletion where Mahomes didn't didn't really have a chance and then um Mahomes throws a short pass to McKinnon um which results in a seven yard gain and takes a sack on a third down where I thought that he had a chance to throw the ball away, but it's only a two-yard sack, so it's not that big of a deal. So all of that put together um, after Mahomes doesn't really get a chance because Andy Reid elects to go for the field goal, all of that put together means that Mahomes had a pretty average game. Um, the dropped interception that he had where he just chucked it up into double coverage and the nice throw that he had to Valdez Scantling essentially kind of cancel out for me, and that just kind of leaves him with a bunch of short throws um, and a couple of sacks. So not really a great game for Mahomes. Uh, I didn't think he played particularly well. Um, if they played again, I think he would play a much better game. So, yeah, if you have any thoughts on that, you can say them right now. 
Mahomes, yeah, kind of just doesn't seem to be able to put together a full game versus this Bengals team. There's yeah, three games in 2022 where I feel like it's been a tale of two halves for him in every single one of those matchups. And the last two was the first half where he was absolutely incredible in the first half and then just completely melted down in the second one. And we didn't quite see that in this one where there was a complete meltdown, but it was another tale of two halves where Mahomes just wasn't at his best in the first. I think he was significantly better to end the game and almost come back and beat this Bengals team if a couple of things go his way. And I think that saved his like just overall game for me, how good he was in that second half. I think I would agree with you where this was an average performance compared to the average quarterback and as a Mahomes performance this season, this definitely has to rank one of as one of his worst. But looking at him overall, I mean, obviously these stats lack context, but looking at the major stats, he's still number one in yards, number one in touchdowns for quarterbacks, pretty low with picks and first in QBR. I think statistically he's still looking very good despite some of these performances. And in my opinion, he's still firmly up there at number one based off what he's done. Uh, earlier in the season and pretty much mostly every other game other than this one, and there's one or two earlier in the year. But I think this game did kind of put a halt to the tear he's been on in recent memory. Uh, but And Burrow definitely outplayed him in this one. But I still, I still put him up there as like the the... I guess you could say front runner. However, I do want to see him play better against this Bengals team because the way Burrow's been playing, I think Burrow and the Bengals are definitely here to stay. And that's some that's a hump he's definitely got to get over because he's definitely going to see Burrow again, whether it's in the playoffs, obviously in the regular season, every four years, or maybe even more often, depending how the schedulers make it. I think this is going to be... This one, uh, uh, this Burrow matchup and the Allen matchup, I think is going to be something the NFL is going to start trying to market a whole lot because it pretty much every single time becomes a classic matchup. Yeah, I think that the narrative last year was like the cover two or the the, the two high safeties thing was was the thing that's uh, tripping up the Chiefs. I'm a home stopper. Yeah, but I think that what what it really is more so, and the thing that the Bengals do well is playing tricky coverages where um, it's whatever you can do, like disguises, um, new coverages that Mahomes hasn't really seen, um, just whatever you can do to make him feel uncomfortable. If you continue to just do that over and over again, now it's tough because Mahomes obviously is a very smart player, one of the smartest players probably of all time, but um, whatever you can do to do things that haven't been presented to him uh, when he's when he's done his preparation for the game, uh, I think that's what you have to do. And yeah, the Bengals just keep keep coming up with those type of plays. Yeah, you do kind of just have to fuck around with his mind and hope he makes a mistake. Because once, well, the only way really to stop Mahomes as of right now, or prime Mahomes in general, is force him into making mistakes and. That's something he definitely does more than a lot of other elite quarterbacks. And he didn't quite do it as much in this one, but we saw him do that a lot in the last two Bengals matchups, which ended the uh, ended up losing them those games. And I guess he improved a bit in that regard in this matchup. But yeah, 
still clearly not enough. But moving on from that matchup, which was a very close one, to another close matchup that, in fact, had a pretty similar score. I think it was only one point off between the Seahawks and Rams. And this was a somewhat surprising close game between these two teams, I'd say on paper, because obviously the Seahawks are a significantly better team than the the injury-riddled Rams. But the Rams always just seem to play the Seahawks well as a, as a NFC West fan, I've seen the Seahawks and Rams go at it every year twice, and it's always a close matchup. For whatever reason, the Rams always play the Seahawks well. Usually when the Rams have a good team, they beat the Seahawks. And, well, we saw it here where they can still put up a good matchup even with a bad team. But anyways, moving on from that to what we want to talk about here is Geno Smith, who... He still put up a great stat line going 28 for 39, going for 367 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. And for the most part, his game film does back up uh, this pretty good stat line. Going into the game, uh, he has he first touches the field middle of the first quarter. And on his second pass of the entire day, we see him make an incredible play, one of the best plays of the day. Uh, the Rams send some extra heat up the middle on this one, and his running back doesn't exactly do the best job of picking it up, but Gino just slides right completely unbothered as if there was no one there showing his poise in the pocket and doesn't allow that to ruin his rhythm at all. He just slides right, steps up, and just finds a wide open locket and hits him in stride so he can just turn up field and run 20 for 20 yards and a touchdown. And ultimately, this play wasn't exactly the most difficult throw or most difficult play, but it kind of just goes to show how poised and good pocket awareness he has because a lot of quarterbacks in that situation would have just taken off because there was two people coming up right in his face. But he did a great job of just maneuvering in the pocket without having to run around and make a whole scene and ruin the timing of the play. And since he did such a good job of that, they were just easily able to beat the broken down coverage and score a touchdown. Uh, Early in the second quarter, Gino does a great job of getting the Seahawks away from being very deep in their own territory. Uh, And in this play, center is literally pushed all the way to Gino's face. Like when you pause the play as he throws it, there's literally his center. His center's helmet is quite literally touching his and he's still able to deliver a strike over the middle to his tight end. have no idea how he was even able to see at, see that, but great job by him to not only get out of the end zone, but get a first. Uh, he follows that with another elite throw with pressure all up in his face. Uh, he was leaning up, leaning back, and he still drops it in in a dead space that DK happened to find and allows him to pick up another few yards as well. Uh, after another quick uh, completion to Lockett that gets them inside the 10 to the 5-yard line, uh, Gino delivers an absolutely beautiful pass to the back corner of the end zone to a wide-open fan uh, and puts the ball right over a leaping defender. Uh, and Gino has really mastered this throw, which a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL struggle with and have for years, that back corner of the end zone throw. He just hits that on the money. I don't know. It's it's something that I've never seen because almost every other quarterback, unless you're like a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, their like success rate on those back corner throws are quite low because it's such a 
weird part of the end zone. It's hard to get the, get it there, loop it there without any defender making a play on the ball. And Gino's one of the quarterbacks that has absolutely mastered it, and it's beautiful to see every single time. It Im- impresses me every time I see it, and I see it almost every time I watch Gino at this point. Uh, but after the Seahawks pick off the Ram- Rams right after this one, late in the second quarter, we see the Seahawks go on a quick three and out. And on third down, Gino has no blocking and is quickly sacked. Uh, but this play is relevant because Bobby Wagner literally has his hands on the ball and is ripping it out. But somehow Gino manages to hang on. And it's just a great play by Gino because they were deep in their own territory and at this point in the game, I believe it was either four or one point, and it was would definitely have swung the game the other way by a lot. But he just does a great job of tucking it, hanging on, even though he was under intense uh, pressure. And overall, that just concludes a great half from him. But going on early into the second half, uh, he starts the half again with style, as a uh, off a bootleg, he just completely jukes out Leonard Fo- Leonard Floyd in the open field, and finds DK for a first. Even though there's three uh, defenders all around him, uh, just a great play overall by Gino, and he follows that with another 25 yard strike to Metcalf, where he drops the ball right in between where the linebackers are and right in front of the safeties on like an in route. There's it was perfect placement and perfect. Uh, anticipation as well to just drop the ball right in that little dead space uh unfortunately Gino does end up uh getting his drive killed even though he was doing a great job because left tackle fails to block uh the defensive end and he's hit from behind and it ends up forcing a fumble and looking at this play he really didn't have anything there wasn't too much time for him to make a decision he kind of gets hit and just ends up fumbling unfortunate play for him uh, he does get the ball again early in the third quarter, and he starts hot with another dime to DK on a go route. Uh, DK has maybe a yard of space, which is quite a bit, and Dino just drops it in on the money so he can catch it without like the defensive back even having a, a little bit of a chance at the ball, just right over him, and it was a 40-yard connection. Great catch by DK as well to stay in bounds. Uh and get his feet in. However, in the red zone, Gino is hit as he throws on a third and three, and I felt like he had Lockett hoping, and it was it did look like he was looking that way and intended to throw to him, but he hesitated for a split second, and that's more than enough time uh, for the rusher to come in and hit him, and the ball ends up in the dirt instead of a completion for a first down in the red zone. Uh, he follows that. In, in the following drive with probably one of his worst plays of the day. Uh, he was under pressure from about probably like two to th- two or three linemen and off his back foot. He kind of just throws a low velocity throw from the far hash to the sideline where his running back was just in the flats. It was supposed to be his check down, but, was, but the throw was a little errant. It was a little bit in front of the running back and it allowed for Bobby Wagner to come in and make a play on the ball. And Bobby Wagner does make an incredible play to literally rip the ball away from the running back to pick it off. And it's not entirely Geno's fault for that reason because the running back could have made a play on the 50-50 ball. But just in my opinion, he can't even throw the ball in harm's way. And in so weakly too, because he did see Bobby Wagner coming in. 
there's no reason for him to throw it up and in a spot where the linebacker could realistically get the ball. He's got to get that either low or throw the ball harder, and he doesn't do either there, and it's a big mistake from him, especially at that point in the game. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, Spitz starts to kind of make up for his mistake. Off a of play action, he finds an open Lockett for 20, and he turn, uh, allows Lockett to turn up field and hits him in stride so he could get another 15. Uh, in the red zone, though, he does once again put the ball in harm's way. Uh, he's flushed out of the pocket and kind of just throws it into double coverage in the end zone. And he's the only reason he's not picked off is because he does miss high a little bit and the DB is not able to get up and get it. And just another interceptable pass that he really doesn't have to force because if they do end up with three here because the ball falls and they weren't in a bad situation at all, that's something I feel like Gino's got to learn to fix sometimes because there are some times here and there in close games where he tries to do a bit too much, uh, tries to make a bit too much of a ballsy throw because he knows what he's capable of. Uh, but that trade of him does come back to end up winning them the game because he does get the ball back down three with two and a half minutes left, biggest drive of the game, and he does do a fantastic job of running the two-minute drill. He just keeps finding his open receivers, hits them on target for enough to get a first down, and they just get to the line and keep pushing. And with about 40 seconds left, Gino makes one of his most ballsy throws of the season, as I said, where he throws it to DK with there being a window of maybe one inch because Ramsey's literally draped all over DK, borderline holding him, and there's a safety right over the top two. And Gino just fires the ball on target and high because DK is massive and only he could go up and get that ball. And he throws that touchdown pass for the win. And an incredibly ballsy throw at that point in the game, especially to put it in such harm's way, but it ends up paying off for sure. And overall, there are so many fantastic throws from him this game. Just all so many throws where it just made me go kind of like, wow. I can't believe he made that play, but he does need to limit those mistakes because those mistakes did almost cost him the game in this one. Yeah, um, I agree on Gino, but I, I, I feel like you, I feel like you just got to take the good with the bad with Gino because mm-hmm. his ability to keep his foot on the gas pedal at all times is what keeps the Seahawks in games. So you just kind of... You just kind of take the good with bad. Yeah, his good has kind of gotten to that elite status where, like, the bad he does have, and he does happen to have it once or twice every single game. But his throws have become so amazing that it's almost like he's gotten to that elite tier where you can just ignore those few mistakes because you know he's going to make up for it with another amazing throw later on. Yeah, totally yeah, agree. agree. Um, um, so that should wrap up our reviews um, for this week. Let's move into our previews for this week, or for week 14, rather. Um, and you get us started with Kirk Cousins. All right. Uh, Kirk Cousins going into this one will be going at Detroit in a divisional matchup. And looking at this one, in recent memory, Detroit has been absolutely on fire. I think it's like 
four straight or something that they've won in recent games, something like that. They've they've been on a little bit of a tear, and I think they're trying to make that last second playoff push uh, because they do kind of have an outside chance right now. And obviously the Vikings being a team not only in their division but someone higher up in the NFC that someone the Lions will definitely try to gun for. Uh, but I think the, the tale of the Lions story this season all year has been the fact that even though their offense has been able to get it done, their defense still has not. And in their recent uh, uptake in wins, they have kind of improved on the defensive front, but it's still nowhere near even average in this league. And with the amount of weapons the Vikings have and how much the offense has been absolutely rolling this season, I don't expect them to have a whole lot of trouble. Uh, that front seven has definitely been the weaker part of their uh, defense, I'd say. And I don't expect Cousins to really have to worry about too much pressure. It seems like Dalvin's probably going to have a field day as well. Uh, I don't think they have any DBs to keep up with Justin Jefferson either. So I think this is just going to be a easy easy matchup for the Vikings offense for sure. I think this does have shootout potential because the Lions offense has been rolling as well. But ultimately, I think Cousins will have a good day, and um, I think this will be an exciting one. Uh, yeah, imagine like a few weeks ago telling someone that this was the game that you were going to pick out of the slate uh, of the 10 a.m. games when we have Browns, Bengals, we have Jets, Bills, um, Jags, Titans, maybe is a good game. Um, but yeah, I, I might end up picking this one as the game that I watch live out of that slate. So yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. It's It's got some extremely high scoring potential. For sure. High scoring yeah. potential, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to um, another divisional game where Josh Allen and the Bills are going up against the Jets. And yeah, I am excited for this one. Last time Josh Allen played against the Jets, um, it, it did not go well. Um, Josh Allen put the ball in harm's way three times um, in that game against the Jets. And, you know, he made a bunch of explosive plays as he always does, but that game in particular, the quality of the turnovers that he made was 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 pretty bad. Um, so I'm looking for him to kind of play a cleaner brand of football this game. Um, but it might be tough, especially with the talent that the Jets have in the secondary and in the pass rush. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's all on him as it always is. Josh Allen is kind of a one-man offense. And so, you know, it's up to him to keep the ball in harm's or keep the ball out of harm's way and make sure he's making those explosive plays. I don't have um, much else to say about Josh Allen other than just go out there, play well, don't put the ball in harm's way. Yeah, I think that's kind of the advice for Allen every week at this point. We know we're gonna get what we're gonna get out of him. And we know he can either be someone that just puts up a monster performance or someone that still will have those massive plays, but will also make a bunch of mistakes that end up costing his team. So against a defense like the Jets, I do hope he limits those mistakes because that defense has been on fire and they cannot afford a lot of mistakes against that team. Uh, But I am excited for that matchup as well. It's another good matchup, just like the last one we talked about. 
And yeah, it seems like a lot of good matchups in that 10 a.m. slate. And speaking of those good matchups, we have another one in the Jaguars at the Titans. Uh, and speaking of the Jaguars, we'll be ta- I'll be talking about Trevor Lawrence. And going into this one, Trevor Lawrence has had a bit of an uptake in play these last few weeks. I believe it was last week he had that thriller win over the Ravens where a lot of the national media kind of finally realized that Lawrence has been good this season, or at least for some of this season, for sure. <laughs> and yeah, but going into this one, this Titans defense has definitely been elite. I know the Eagles made it seem like they weren't necessarily a great defense, but this team definitely is a very good unit. And Trevor Lawrence has definitely struggled this season against good defensive teams. Especially, I think he struggles against teams that uh, are able to get in his face a lot because a lot of his game is just quick split-second decisions and just getting the ball out as quick as possible. And if teams are able to get in his face before he can even make that happen, uh, it does bode for some trouble. But I think with uh, Trevor's recent uptake in play, I think he will be able to deal with the pressures and I think he will be able to find his guys. I don't think the Titans' uh, defensive backs are so elite that they'll be able to hold back the Jaguars' uh, off a receiver core, which admittedly isn't the best. Uh, Lawrence definitely does not have the best team around him, but I do think it is enough, especially with a, hopefully a completely healthy ETN being back this week. I know he's dealt with injuries the last week or so. That uh, run game should be a bit better now with him back. And, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to continue with his recent uptake in play. I don't think he'll put up as good stats as previous weeks because, obviously, this team is much better. They won't even put up as much points. But I do think Lawrence will uh, keep his team in this one against a pretty good Titans team. I think it will be a back-and-forth mid-scoring matchup, if I had to guess. Yeah, agreed with you there. Um, yeah, Lawrence, not not the greatest performance against the Lions. He was all right, but um, yeah, just showing some flashes, and that's kind of what we're looking to see with a young player. He's still very young, so yeah, looking yeah, forward to this one. Hopefully he continues to show his flashes in this one. And going from one of the younger, more promising quarterbacks in the league to the oldest quarterback and the GOAT, uh, making his return to the Bay Area in this one. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows at this point, but Brady is a Bay Area kid who grew up watching the Niners, and he will be coming back uh, to play what is expected to be one of his final games uh, in San Francisco. So that's very poetic and nice. Uh, but I don't think the Niners' defense is going to necessarily be as poetic and nice to him in this one. Because... <laughs> I think a lot of what the Bucks offense has struggled with in this season is exactly what the Niners' defense excels at. I think that Bucks' off, uh, uh, offense has definitely struggled a lot this season with protecting Brady, and especially at this age, you were hoping that that wouldn't be an issue because Brady can't really afford to take as many hits as he maybe could have a decade ago or whenever. So that's something definitely to be concerned about as a Bucks fan or someone who's supporting Brady here. 
because I do think the Niners' defensive line will take absolute advantage of the Bucks' offensive line here. Uh, the Bucks' uh, supporting cast in terms of receivers and running backs have definitely been nowhere near the level of play they were in the previous few years Brady's been with the Bucks, And I do expect that to continue here as well. Uh, I don't think the Niners necessarily have overwhelming uh, talent in the secondary to just shut down guys like Godwin and Evans, etc. But I think it's more just them being not as good as they have been in recent memory. And I think with how elite that linebacking core is, they'll be able to shut down the run as well as any passes to like tight ends. And I think the secondary will be able to do a good job against their two star receivers. Uh, that this Bucks offense hasn't looked particularly explosive all year. And I expect it to be a lot of the same in this one. Uh, low scoring from them. However, I do think they might still have a chance to maybe pull something off depending on how Purdy plays. This is going to be his first start, his first real game with, you know, tape NFL tape on him. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds. But I expect a low scoring one with both teams having a chance to win. And had Jimmy G been playing, I would have expected a steamroll here, but don't expect that anymore. Yeah, agreed with what you said there. Um, big matchup. Um, Brady's calling card in the past has been that he doesn't really like his play doesn't really drop off against elite defenses. So we'll see how that's aged, I guess. Yeah. All right. Whew, biggest matchup of the week: um, Justin Herbert against Tua Tungabailoa. Or at least that's what it's being billed as. Um, you can get us started yes. off with Justin Herbert here. Yeah, and Justin Herbert, as you, as you said, this is going to be one of the biggest matchups of the year for the, I say the narrative between Herbert and Tua, which I think the narrative with Burrow, Herbert, Tua, Hurts, them all being in the same draft class, I think there's been a lot of talk with that. And I think the biggest comparison has definitely been Herbert versus Tua. And I think whoever wins this, regardless of how Herbert or Tua play, whoever wins this is going to be crowned the second best of this draft class, maybe even best, depending on who you're talking to, uh, which I don't think should be the case here. But it's definitely what this game has been anointed to be. I think this game was even flexed into Sunday Night Football. So I do think a lot of people are not only very excited, but excited to talk about this one. And looking in a uh, Herbert's side of this scenario, I think he's definitely got the short end of the stick, of course, in terms of supporting cast and being able to win this one because his defense won't be much help. And I guess he will be having uh, probably his best supporting cast of the year in this one with having Eckler, obviously. I think he's expected to have Mike Williams back and Keenan Allen's finally come back. This is probably one of their first games uh, with both Keenan and Mike Williams playing. So I think that should be very helpful to Herbert in this one, going up against the pretty good Dolphins defense this season. And one thing the Dolphins do do is send a lot of creative blitzes and send a lot of heat in general. And with the Chargers offensive line not being the best, probably one of the worst in the NFL this year, uh, I do think Herbert's, we're going to see a lot of what, uh, we've seen all year with Herbert where he's not really going to have much time to 
find longer developing plays, and I think he's going to make a lot of quick decisions, a lot of short throws just to get little chunks and get downfield because I just don't expect him to have the time to do much more, which is unfortunate. Uh, that Dolphin secondary is pretty good, good as well, and with an aging wide receiver core, I don't know how much space he'll have from his receivers, so I think he'll do a lot of throwing open in this one, but uh, regardless, I still hope this is ends up being a close game and a shootout, but if it does end up going one way, it'll definitely be in the Dolphins' direction. Yeah, you... you... <laughs> Drop my phone there. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. Um, if you if you've been listening to what I've been saying about Tua and the Dolphins' offense, you know where I'm leaning um, in this game as a pick wise. Um, I, I think that the Dolphins are much that way. yeah the Dolphins are a much better team than, than the Chargers this year, especially with the health issues. Um, but looking at Tua specifically, um, there I mean there there are a ton of matchups that he can take advantage of. But the ones I want to look at specifically are along the defensive line with the RPO game and the linebacking core for the Chargers. I don't think anyone in the Chargers linebacking core um, or the the Chargers pass rush uh, or, or, or the interior line, to be honest, I don't think any of them are like capable of stopping the RPO game of the Dolphins. And then I also don't think that the likes of Asante Samuel Jr. or whoever else the Chargers want to throw at Tyree Kill are capable of stopping him or even Jalen Waddle. Um, oh so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm expecting some fireworks, man. <laughs> I it's, didn't even think about that. Oh, boy. I, I it's I mean, where's the talent on the Chargers' defense? They're all on IR or they're, they haven't played well. It so. doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah, this is this is pretty problematic. Um yeah, ex- expect some fireworks from from the Dolphins, in my opinion. Yeah, the Dolphins are gonna put up forty. Looking yeah, right that's here. that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, hopefully, Tua doesn't miss too many throws in the primetime game <laughs> and ruin his reputation. Um, but moving on to the last game of the week, another primetime game. Um, we have a matchup between Mac Jones and Kyler Murray, and um, I'll, I'll be looking at previewing both of them. And first, we'll start with Mac Jones. Um, the Cardinals' defense has been pretty atrocious this season outside of a few stretches where Vance Joseph has been pulling miracles, um, if I might say so myself, where he doesn't really have any talent on that defense, but with some creative blitz calls, with some creative coverage schemes, um, he can sometimes make up for it. Um, but I, I think that a heavy dose of the run game um, with some play-action shots should be a great way to deal with this Cardinals' defense for Mac Jones. Um, I don't really think that the Cardinals uh, have the secondary talent to even deal with the likes of Hunter Henry and Nelson Aguilar and, and, and whoever else and, and Jacoby Myers, whoever else that they want to put out there, Kendrick Bourne. Um, th- these are the type of players that the Cardinals will struggle with because they don't really have talent uh, in the secondary. Um, so yeah, um, the, the Patriots offense has potential to put up a lot uh, unless the Cardinals show up, which they, which they could, they're a very inconsistent yeah. unit. It's yeah. it's there's there's a chance that accidentally happens, um, but moving on to the other side of the ball, where Kyler Murray is going up against a really tricky defense uh, with the Patriots, and um, you know I I think that um, it's a little overstated with the thing with Bill Belichick not being able to deal with running quarterbacks. Um, it is a thing because the Patriots 
like to play kind of sticky type of coverages where they have similar or similar man responsibilities. And that's a great recipe to be get diced up by scrambles and, and run plays. But um, I don't think that Kyler Murray is of the level of runner of like a Lamar Jackson type of guy um, where Bill Belichick, his type of schemes would have trouble with him. And then I also don't think that um, the advantage that he has um, over Cliff Kingsbury uh, as a play caller is enough to be offset by that. So uh, I'm not looking, I'm not thinking that there's going to be a huge advantage for the Cardinals in this game, but I do think they have more talent. Um, I think that uh, Hopkins can beat Jack Jones, Jonathan Jones uh, on the outside. And then I think that um, maybe Hollywood Brown probably has some trouble with, with those corners this game, but um, yeah, if, if the Cardinals O-line can, can hold up, um, which it should be able to, they're not too bad of a unit. Um, but that's kind of the variable that I think should decide whether this game is a shootout or a blowout for the Patriots. So hopefully it's a shootout. Hopefully it's a close game. Um, but yeah, it's not really looking like any of the Cardinals win in this one. Yeah. If I, my thoughts are the same, I'd go with the Patriots here. Mainly because of what you talked about, that Cardinals defense. It's absolutely abysmal. Just like with that Chargers defense, I it, I also find, have a hard time finding the talent on that Cardinals defense. And I think a lot of the Cardinals, not only the defense, but in general, has have kind of given up on the season and kind of clocked out. Uh, maybe this is a one-game thing, but that's the vibe I got again, playing against the Cardinals recently or when the Niners did. So uh, I, I don't expect a whole lot from them. I, I would lean more towards not necessarily a blowout, but a comfortable win for the Pats. Uh, I do think the Car- Cardinals offense will put up a bit of a fight. Uh, but yeah, it's going the Patriots way. And honestly, this matchup I feel like will be a little boring. I feel like most primetime matchups with the Patriots ends up being boring because of the way Bill Belichick likes to play call. And I think this won't be any different. But they don't really flex out Monday Night Football, so it is what it is. Yep. All right. That should be it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Leave a like, comment, subscribe, do whatever you need to do on whatever platform that you're listening. That's all for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just please do all that. And peace. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys so much. Peace.